Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, great to have you with us on this Wednesday in Chicago for the Big Ten Tournament. Tomorrow night, Nittany Lion basketball team will take on Minnesota at 7 o'clock. I'm beginning at 6.30. That's something we'll deal with more tomorrow here in Chicago. There's a lot more going on around the country, including the Patriot League championship game tonight in Hamilton, where Bucknell will take on Colgate this evening. Next half hour, we'll hear from Nathan Davis and talk about Bucknell basketball. They ran out Lehi in the semifinals and scored a Patriot League tournament record in the process and uh, won their way to the Patriot League championship game. They're looking for their third consecutive trip to the NCAA tournament, but they're facing a hot team in Colgate tonight. Colgate has won 10 in a row, and they are 14-1 and at home this season. And yes, I know enough about Colgate basketball because I did the Penn State-Colgate game December 8th in the Jordan Center. They're a good basketball team. Dick Girardi and I looked at each other that day and said, you know what, that team's a good team. Today's show, by the way, brought to you by good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is also the opening day for Penn State football practice for spring drills. James Franklin addressing the media today. We'll hear his press conference in the 4 o'clock hour. Also, Joe Lorg, the special teams coach, for the first time, addressed the media today. We also might be able to slip in some comments from him in the second hour of the show today. We're looking forward to that. It's great to have you with us on the show. Uh, we're going to visit with Ray Fittipaldo from the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette in a few moments. Talk with him about Antonio Brown. That's always fun. That's always exciting. Antonio Brown. It's, what, it's one of the great contrasts that we had over the weekend. I know I mentioned this on the show on Monday, but we I witnessed one of the great we moments and I saw one of the great and not-so-great me moments. Antonio Brown is obviously the not-so-great me moment where he quits the team. I mean, he quit on his team. Right? Week 17, quit. No show, quit. Got away with it. Then I watch a guy like David Zemgoulis grow up in Lithuania, right? Been a part of the Penn State basketball program. He's going to get his moment to start on Sunday. Senior. Goes up to his coach on Friday and says, Coach, you can't start me. The game's too important. So we need to win. He said, just put me at the end, at, in at the end of the game when we're, we're running them out. We versus me. Wow. Well, that was the great we moment by Davis and Goulis. We'll talk about the not-so-great me moment. Antonio Brown with Ray Fittipaldo next as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Well, we versus me. Yes, indeed. We've talked about that this week. Team sports can be great, especially when we becomes more important than me. I mean, certain players end up you know, getting accolades, like Josh Reeves, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, Lamar Stevens, first team all Big Ten. Uh, but 
The teams that succeed are the we teams. Look at Bucknell. That's a we group. It's all about the team. In pro sports, there are a lot of guys who are about me. Antonio Brown is front and center, Exhibit A, and has been that way for a long time. They restructured his contract a couple times to make him happy. No matter what they can, the Steelers did, they couldn't make him happy. And now they've dealt him to the Raiders for a third and a fifth. With that, we bring in Ray Fittipaldo, Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette. Ray, it's always great to have you with us. Hey, Steve. Good to be with you again. All right. So you are not lacking for material to write about. Uh, so let's start with, with that right there. In the end, what happened with the Bills, did that in the end then really take away any leverage the Steelers had? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious the Bills had the better offer on the table. Um, you know, the Steelers gave uh, their GM the permission to call Drew Rosenhaus, and um, at that point, Drew Rosenhaus uh, informed them that A.B. either didn't want to go to Buffalo or um, they weren't going to pay him enough money. So um, there's, it's a little bit fuzzy as to whether it was an early second-round pick or whether they were going to get A.B. and they were going to swap 20 and 9. Um, but either way, I mean, listen, the, the Steelers, by that falling through, the Steelers obviously had no other options, and they had to settle for the third and the fifth. And um, it's not fear, uh, nearly enough value in return for Antonio Brown, Steve, but I think it it points to the fact that the Steelers just really wanted to be rid of, them, rid of the entire situation, the distraction that was Antonio Brown. Uh, when you look at Antonio Brown, uh, Le'Veon Bell, I know they're separate cases. In your opinion, Ray, how much of this is the personality of the player? How much is this the personality of the organization? And how much of this is what the league is today? Yeah, great question, Steve. I I think let's let's break it down first with Le'Veon. Um, I think that was a business decision. I think the Steelers had a miscalculation there. They never thought he would sit out and leave fourteen and a half million dollars on the table. So they, you know, looking back, they got burned in that situation. They thought they were going to have Bell on their team in 2018, and it turns out that he had more resolve um, than they thought. But I, I think it wasn't personal, right? That was just a business decision on his part. When it comes to the Antonio Brown situation, it's almost like he's pushing back against the way the Steelers do things. Um, you, you know, I asked Kevin Colbert this point blank at the Combine because all these guys are forcing their way out of town. Is the way you do business good enough? I mean, is, is, is the way you've always done business, does that have to change in this new era that we seem to be going into? And he said, no, we're not going to change. So they're not going to change the way they structure their contracts. They're not going to give all this upfront money and guaranteed money like you're seeing today on the first day of free agency. They just don't do that. They believe in what they do. And I really think you're looking at two unique situations. Or from the Steelers' perspective, I think they're hoping that these are just two unique situations and that they can do business the way they do business with the other you know, 51 players on their roster. 
the two systems are different, but I feel like I just w- witnessed an NFL player pull an NBA player move. Uh, I know. It doesn't feel that way. Yeah, it, I mean, it really does feel that way to me. We just watched a guy literally quit on his team because in week 17 he quit and, quote, get away with it. Yep. Um, you know, listen, Steve, I mean, you saw him go on uh, the HBO show that LeBron James does. I, I forget the name of it, but um, I think you can see that the NBA culture is starting to um, infiltrate into the way NFL players are thinking. And I think we all know that NFL player contracts are by far the worst um, of any of the, the four major sports in the United States. Um, You know, the guaranteed money isn't there like it is uh, in the other three sports. Um, You know, they're fighting to get to to that point. Uh, The CBA runs out in another year or two. So um, if the players really want to make a point of it, they can, you know, they could have a work stoppage. And, um, you know, we'll see how much, you know, resolve they have then. Um, But, yeah, for the next year, two years before that CBA comes, I, I think people in the NFL offices and, you know, obviously, people like Art Rooney and Kevin Colbert—they have to be worried that this type of behavior isn't rewarded in the future. And if you know, unfortunately for the Steelers, they were sort of the first to have it happen to them. If you're the Steelers, how do you make sure this doesn't happen again? I don't know the answer to that. No, I, and I don't think anybody knows the answer to it. And part of it is going to be through the collective bargaining agreement, which may provide answers. Because my point on Le'Veon Bell has always been this. Hey is that your argument's actually with your union, not with your team. They negotiated it and said they, that teams can do this. Exactly. Uh, yeah, back in 2011, um, you know, they kept this franchise tag. And, um, you know, it, uh, you know, I don't want to say it penalizes star players, but it does sort of hold them back from, from getting more guaranteed money, and they sort of have to go – year to year on these deals and you know obviously late Le'Veon Bell had had enough of that he played uh on the tag right. for one year and he wasn't willing to do it on two so we'll see how it goes from here but um yeah I agree with you Steve I, I think the NFL has its hands full here for the next couple of years until this new CBA can get ironed out so since January 1st, I think the Steelers have probably resigned themselves that Antonio Brown was not going to be a part of the mix. I think it's, you know, after what he pulled at the end of the season, um, not showing up for practice, things like that, I think they knew they had to move on. So they had to have been thinking, how do we handle this? So when you look at the Steelers returning a wide receiver, where do you look for answers? Do you look more at free agency, in your opinion, Ray, or is it really the draft you have to look at? I actually think both, Steve. Um, you know, free agency is unpredictable. You see some of the, the, the money that's being doled out today, and you realize that it might not be feasible. But, you know, a guy like John Brown played for the Ravens last year on a one-year $5 million deal. He's a deep threat. That's what this Steelers offense needs. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster and James Washington uh, are really good receivers, but they're not speedsters, and they need somebody to stress the field and um, you know to take the pressure off those guys. So if they don't get a guy like John Brown in free agency, then I think they're going to be forced to use one of their early draft picks um, on a receiver, and preferably, you know, it could be a fast guy who could sort of stretch the field. I don't think you can get away with two guys who run in the four-five range 
um, to be your top two receivers. I think you need a third guy in there uh, to, to run down the field, be a deep threat, and take some coverage away from those other two guys. So how do you look at Juju Smith-Schuster, and how do you look at James Washington? How do you look at those two guys right now, Ray? Obviously, Juju have more of a, a more of a read on than Washington. But what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Juju's going to be just fine as the number one receiver. Um, he's a pro. He studies. He knows how to get open. Um, you know, his quote-unquote lack of speed, not that he's slow, but that doesn't affect him. He's such a good route runner and such a good player that – He's going to get his yards. Washington is, you know, he's the interesting case study here. Also a second-round pick, um, but he didn't come through as a rookie like Juju did. So Steelers are sitting here thinking, well, we think he's going to be a good player, but do they really know that? So that's why I think they're they're almost forced uh, to go out and sign someone this week and or um, draft someone to compliment James because, um, you know, I feel the same way. I, I think – I do think James Washington is going to be a good player, but until he proves it, you just can't go into the 2019 season counting on that. You meant, we've mentioned free agency several times. The Steelers have, um, I think, dabbled in it would be, at least my word, may not be yours, have dabbled in it, picked up a guy here and there along the way. Do the Steelers maybe have to change their thinking on how they do business at this time of the year because of what's been happening? Yeah, I mean, Steve, that's a good point. I, I think dabble is a good word. Um, you know, they've they, they've made some good signings over the years. Jeff Harding's from Penn State. No he doubt. Had won. He was he was a cornerstone to that Super Bowl Forty team on the offensive line, and there, there have been a few guys like that. But their whole philosophy is to draft, develop, and then to sign their good players to second and third contracts. Um, so if you look at the team spending money today, Steve. It's the Raiders. Um, it's other teams, the Jets, uh, the Redskins, teams who haven't been in the playoffs and you know need to make these types of moves. So I don't necessarily think the Steelers have to change, but they certainly have to do a better job of signing better free agents than they have in, in the last couple of years. I mean, last year it was John Bostick and Morgan Burnett, and they could cut both of those guys within the next 24 hours. And before that it was Ladarius Green, who was a disastrous signing. So I don't know that they have to change their philosophy. They just have to do a much better job of targeting these free agents and getting good ones in, uh, into their system. All right. So the Brown thing also brings with it the idea of the dreaded words, dead money. Uh, what does that do to the Steelers? Um, you know, $21 million, uh was going to be on the cap, whether he played for them or whether he was – traded right. or released. So, I mean, that's just something they have to deal with. They actually have more salary cap space um, than in a normal year, Steve. I think they're right around um, $16 million. Um, that could probably go up to about $20 million, um, depending on if they cut Morgan Burnett and if they right. sign uh, Ben Roethlisberger to an extension here. So they have some money to make some moves. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to be big spenders in free agency, but I do think they could find a you know a veteran starter at inside linebacker, maybe corner, maybe receiver. I think they'll go out and make that move if they can. The depth of this draft appears to be in the uh, in the lines, offensive and defensive lines. The Steelers just re-signed two offensive linemen. A, what did you think of those moves, and what do you think of this draft? 
Uh, I think the, the decision to extend policy was a good one. Uh, he's still uh, uh, an all-pro or Pro Bowl caliber player. And he's still relatively young. I think he's going to turn 30 in July. Um, that was a good move. I don't understand the Ramon Foster signing. He's 33. Um, he's a descending player. Um, and they had B.J. Finney, who was ready to take over for him. So I don't get that one. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out. We'll see if I'm right or if they're right on that one. And, yeah, you're right about uh, the, the offensive and defensive lines. I think the defensive line, first and foremost, you got five defensive linemen, maybe five, six edge rushers who could be among the first 32 picks in this draft. So it's a, it's a defense-heavy draft, and in particular, it's a defensive line-heavy draft. It's a really, really good class. Ray, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. All right, Steve. Good to catch up. Appreciate you having me on. Ray Fittipaldo, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Always great to hear from him. Ray, for years, was just brilliant, I thought, covering the Penn State football beat. You know, you develop a friendship over time. Now he's covering the Steelers. I don't get a chance to talk to him often enough, but he's one of the great guys out there, and we appreciate the time Ray gave us today. Coming up in the next half hour, a conversation with Nathan Davis, the head basketball coach at Bucknell. Tonight, Bucknell will take on Colgate for the Patriot League Championship and the right to go to the NCAA Tournament. 7.30 to tip tonight, airtime 7 o'clock on Eagle 107 with Doug Birdsong. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC Way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, welcome back. Great to have you with us as uh, Bucknell gets ready to take on Colgate tonight for the Patriot League Championship and the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament, this time, though, in Hamilton, New York. Uh, we'll hear from Nathan Davis in just a few moments. 1913, on this day in sports history, the American League approved the name change of the New York Highlanders. They changed it to the New York Yankees. 1956, Dick Farley of the Syracuse Nationals fouled out after playing just five minutes. The fastest disqualification in NBA history. 1966, Bobby Hall, the great Golden Jet, became the first NHL player to score 50 goals uh, to score more than 50 goals in the season. Remember, Maurice Rocket Richard had 50 goals in 50 games. 
Well, Bobby Hall became the first to score more than 50 goals. He ended the season with 54. 1971, Gordy Howe, then with the Detroit Red Wings, announced his retirement after 26 seasons in the NHL. Two years later, he came out of retirement and started playing with the Houston Arrows, the World Hockey Association, with his sons Mark and Marty. 1972, Bill Russell, at his number six, retired at the Boston Garden. 1985, after Kevin McHale had set the Celtics record for points in a game with 56, two days later, Larry Bird broke the Celtics record with 60 against the Atlanta Hawks. 1992, Moses Malone became the fourth all-time leading scorer in NBA history. 1992, Coach Don Nelson with the Golden State Warriors, became the first man in NBA history to participate in 2,500 games as a player and a coach. And in 2003, the Yes Network and Cablevision reached an interim deal to where New York Yankees games, 3 million viewers, had not had access to the games for 2002. That changed, and that allowed the Yankees to sign Alex Rodriguez, who is now engaged to JLo. Yes. See that 15-carat ring? You can't even wear that thing, I don't think, can you? Ah. So for all you people who wonder where the $25 a year went, uh, my understanding is that A-Rod actually, because he's a frequent customer, got a discount. (laughs) All right, tonight it is the Patriot League Championship. Bucknell Colgate. Had a chance last week to talk with Nathan Davis about his team and the fact that they are the number one team in the Patriot League and adjusted team defense. Well, I think that we have a versatile group this year, and so actually we've adapted a lot um, and, and adjusted a lot of stuff this year based on what our strength is. And we can put a number of guys out there that are that 6'4 to 6'8 range, and so we've going on to switch a lot more stuff and I think our guys communication and talking through things and playing things the way they're comfortable with has really uh, allowed them to flourish. Now the next part your offense has still continued to be efficient you're well above one point uh, uh, per possession in terms of efficiency what has your offensive efficiency meant to your defense because it's allowed you to set it up by scoring? Well I think that it, it, it actually is one of those stats for offense that's been a little misleading. We've had some games that have been really good and some games that have been bad. And in league play, we haven't been as efficient as I would like. Um, and, frankly, our defense has allowed us to stay in games. Like this past weekend against Army, we were at like .66 points of possession in the first half. We were only down six because of the way we were guarding. Um, but when we're certainly moving the ball and putting pressure on the other team's offense, it, it helps your defense out because there's a lot of pressure on them to score. And, and I think you get a little more energy from that as well. Development also means something with players. Nate Sestina and Kimbrell McKenzie, what has their development meant to your success? Well, they're, they're obviously very, very good players, and, and I think that their strength is that they're both multiple-level scorers and can hurt you in a number of different ways. And and their work ethic, their commitment to the team the last few years, um, they, in a lot of ways, offensively, despite being very talented with the other guys we had, had to kind of take a backseat and to see them come on and, and really play well, I think, boosts uh, everyone's confidence in the program as far as what they're capable of doing as well. 
Yeah, because you and I both know that when you're taking a backseat to somebody else and then it's your your turn, not everybody steps up and makes the next step when they're the prime guy. That's why I'm I'm impressed by the fact that these guys took that next step. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We we felt all along that they certainly were capable of it because they had shown glimpses before, but you never know when that's going to happen. Fortunately, with our non-league schedule, it happened early. <laughs> if it hadn't, we'd have been in a lot of trouble, but it, I thought it <laughs> exactly. happened early, and they kind of embraced it and allowed us to, to put together some good wins. What has Avi Toomer meant to your success? When he plays well, a lot of times, as you can tell how we're playing by how he plays, when he plays a lot of energy and flying around and attacking the paint, um, being the versatile guy he is, I think he's he's one of those guys that he's probably not going to get you 20, um, but he can be a guy that can get you that 10 to 12 points. He can get you the five rebounds, six rebounds, five assists. He can guard your best player. He can be the other team's best player at multiple spots. So he's a guy, when he's playing at a high level, we tend to be at our best. Then there's Jimmy Sotos. His assist rate has been outstanding for you this year. Has he been an extension of, of the bench for you on the floor? Yeah, I think he's getting there. I think that, it, and, and what's I think the most impressive thing about him is you, you look at him as a sophomore, like, well, he's been around for a year, but when we had Stephen Brown, he wasn't getting the opportunity to handle the ball, obviously, as much as he is now. And I thought early on he forced some stuff, just getting used to it, but he's adjusted nicely, and then he suffered an injury and missed about a week that he's, he's playing through now and got a little rusty, but um, he really does a great job of seeing the floor. I think he's got a good understanding for the game, and the more he plays, the better he's going to get. When you look at at uh, Nate Sestina and then you look at Bruce Moore, now sometimes two big guys don't work well together. How well do they work together? Well, I think they're very good because they have they both have multiple skill sets and they can play with their back to the basket. They can step out and shoot the ball. They can put the ball on the floor. Um, and then you add Bruce is athletic enough to guard multiple spots that, like offensively. Um, we can take advantage of some matchups based on, on what they, they do well. They can be in different spots, and you don't know where they're always going to be all the time, which certainly helps um, them be efficient. Every team ends up taking on its own personality, even when, you have the, even when you have the same personnel again. Now, obviously, your personnel has changed. You've now seen a full body of work. What is the personality of this team? I think this is a team that is that's intense but has fun. I think a lot of it comes from our seniors and that they work hard, but they also have a lot of personality and enjoy life. And so I think this is a group that's kind of adopted that as well. You were able to get, uh, close out with the win at home over Army. Uh, was, it, was it important? Any game's important to win. I got that part. I think you know that. But was it important just to get a little momentum before the tournament started? <laughs> I think it's it's always better to go into a tournament feeling good about yourselves, and we have a lot to feel good about winning the coming in at least tied for first for the fifth year in a row. I think it's the eight or nine in the last ten years means a lot. Um, going undefeated at home in the league play in the regular season meant a lot. Put ourselves in a position we can win another one, we get to twenty twenty wins. I think all that all that matters, and you're, and you're always much better off going in with an edge, but also feeling good about yourself and what you've accomplished. All right, so now how would you assess the depth, the quality of depth in the Patriot this year based on what you saw? I think that the depth is the best it's been in the league. I think usually you would look back and you'd say, all right, there's these two or three teams that you know you're going to beat, and that's just not the case this year. I mean, we lost. One of the reasons we're not first is we lost at the 10th place team um, to, to late in the year. Um, 
that's not always been the case. Loyola, who finished ninth, has beaten people. I mean, Boston University finished eighth. We lost to them, and they beat some other people. So you go right down the list, and it's one of those things where everyone is good enough that even that if you don't play well, you're going to lose, and that's not always been the case. As a coach, I wish it was go back the other way, but for the league, yeah. it's better that way. Right. It would be great where you had this, like, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> we're yeah, good. it's nice to look and say we got these three games, so you know you're going to get to six. Uh, yeah. We don't have that right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's called the AFC East. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the Patriots, we're going to start the year 5-1. and one. Okay, great. Correct. Yeah, uh, we don't have that. All right. Yeah, you don't have that anymore in the, in the Patriot. Uh, what, you've gone through this situation where, obviously, Nathan, uh, you get into the opening game, into your quarterfinal game, and you have to await the winner of another game. How do you as a staff handle that because it's not so cut and dried as to who it is? You know, I took a little bit different approach this year than we had the last couple of years and that yesterday and then we're getting ready to go into practice today is we kind of split both practices in half and are spending time preparing for both. And then tonight, uh, obviously we'll know who won it, so tomorrow we can just kind of review whichever one it is. The good thing with both of these teams, really we've played them both in the last two and a half weeks, so it's not entirely unfamiliar. Um, it's relatively new recently that we played them, so there's some memory of that. But we've tried to kind of approach where we can take the last two days and go and get after each other and really look at kind of what both teams do and then focus it down tomorrow when we know who it's going to be and just review what we've been going over. Obviously, for the last two and a half months, I've been watching nothing but Big Ten basketball, and 10 of the 14 teams in the Big Ten are in the bottom half of the country in pace. I mean, a lot of people don't realize Michigan's a slow team. Maryland's a, I mean, Maryland is a slow team. We all know Wisconsin right. is, obviously. Uh, that's not the case with your team. I mean, your team has been one of the top 50 in adjusted tempo all season long. What is that pace meant to, meant to how you want to play the game, and what are you doing to opposing teams because of that pace? Well, I think the, the first thing it does is it puts pressure on the opponent all the time to guard. So from the second we get the ball until we take, hopefully, the shot we want, they've got to guard us. It's not that we don't mind going late in the clock, but we don't necessarily want to commit to going late in the clock. We want to give ourselves as many opportunities to get um, whether it's an open three, a layup, or a shot in line as possible. And so we, we do that by trying to get the ball up the floor quickly and look for them. Um, if we can get one of those in the first six seconds, great. If it takes 26 seconds to get to it, that's fine too. But we just don't want to give you a chance to, to kind of set up and relax and and, and catch a breath. We want to put constant pressure on you at that end to be to be focused. Otherwise, we'll, we'll we'll get some easy shots, and if we can get easy shots, we're probably going to win. Nathan, this time of the year, details mean so much. Every detail has a meaning to it at this time of the year. How detail oriented has your team been this season? I think that at times, I think and everyone goes through the times we've been, we haven't been where we need to be with that. I think that I like what we've done the last couple of days and really focusing in on, on the on the little things. It was that Joe Gibbs that said, in order to be to win on any level, you've got to be obsessive about the fundamentals and the little things. And we've really tried to get back in the last few days to our angles for screens, our setting up screens, our, our spacing, our... Uh, our passing, our defensive communication, our positioning, all that stuff. Because at the end of the day, um, it's probably not going to be a play we call or anything like that. Everyone knows what everyone's doing. It's going to be about guys executing and making plays and reading and reacting to what's going on. And and to do that, you've got to be in the right position and do those things right. I assume that you're one of the teams at times that will run a weave up, up top, right? No, we don't. We, you're never going to see that. <laughs> yeah, not from you, huh? <laughs> No, but there's some teams I see that run it. They, they get late in the year. Let's talk about the tails, and they'll run it flat. If they're running it flat, it's easy to guard. If you're running it at an angle, 
uh, you know, at angles. Now it becomes hard to guard. That's that's the details we're talking about. Yeah, you know, we try to we want every every pass, every cut, every screen we set, all that stuff to be a potential an opportunity to score. Um, so we're not going to do anything where we're trying to to really run clock or or set the next thing up. Certainly, it's going to set the next thing up. But if you don't, if you're doing a if you're cutting through and you're not looking for the ball, right. it's not going to actually open up some other stuff. And so we, we work hard and, and talk a lot about how everything affects the next thing. And so you've got to do them right all the time. How many plays do you like to run, or is it more concepts that are important to you? We do a lot of concepts. So we really only run plays yeah. on, on dead balls when the defense yep. is dead. So we'll run maybe 10 or 12 a game, something like that. Um but it's more concepts that we're, we're, we're looking for through the flow. All right. That's what I thought. All right. Hey, Nathan, thanks so much. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in the tournament and uh, appreciate the time you gave us today. All right. Thanks a lot. Nathan Davis, head basketball coach at Bucknell. They'll play uh, tonight at 730 against Colgate. Obviously, I talked to him last week. As you can tell, the one question I asked him about previewing um, – the opening round matchup, but everything else is apropos to what's happening tonight at seven thirty, seven o'clock the airtime with Doug Birdsong in Hamilton on Eagle One Hundred Seven. Uh, this is uh, a couple of quick numbers on Bucknell. Bucknell is twenty fourth in the nation in assists made per field goal, almost sixty percent. Bucknell is twenty fifth in the nation. In second-half scoring, this is what Colgate has to be aware of tonight. Bucknell is 25th in the nation in second-half scoring at 41.5 points per game. Now, that's impressive. Because you get in the second half, I mean, you look what they did to Lehigh. They took them and they ran them out. Uh, Nathan Davis is now 11th in, in career winning percentage among all active Division One coaches with at least three years of experience. He's 230 wins and 83 losses. He is 11th in winning percentage across the country with at least three years of head coaching experience. The, the Bison shot 67% in the second half against Lehigh. Lehigh came into the game leading the nation in three-point field goal percentage at 42.5%. But Bucknell outscored the Mountain Hawks 36-15 from beyond the arc. Bucknell shot 53% overall and broke the Patriot League tournament record for points scored in a semifinal game. The previous mark had been 96. So they have been rolling. And Kimberl McKenzie and Nate Sestina, their final game at Soika, combined for 48 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists. So now they've got this matchup coming up with uh, Colgate tonight at 7.30 with the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament on the line. Bucknell 41-22 all-time in the Patriot. They've won 65% of their tournament games. They've reached the championship game now a record 12 times. They've won it in 5, 6, 11, 13, 17, and 18. Seventh time they've been the number two seed. They are 11 and 5 when playing as the second seed, including a championship in 2005. Now, Colgate's going to come into the game. They're one of the better teams in the country. I saw this team in person back in December. And we knew, Dick Girardi and I knew in watching them that afternoon at the Jordan Center, 
We looked at that's a good team. They've won 10 straight games coming into this one. It's the seventh longest winning streak in the nation. It ties the school record for Colgate, set back in 1929. Playing in Hamilton, not easy. Colgate is 14-1 and at home this season. Yes, they beat Bucknell 75-64 to back on the 19th of February. Uh, Rapolis Avanaskis. Yes, I had to say that name repeatedly on that Saturday, December 8th. <laughs> Averages 16.5 points, 8 boards a game. Jordan Burns, really good. 15 points a game. Uh, and also dishes off nearly 6 assists per game. Will Raymond whom I've always liked. I've seen him play against Penn State a couple of times in his career. Uh, 13 points per game. Tucker Richardson, we could tell early, was going to be a good-looking player for them as a freshman. Eight points per game this season. And Colgate is a really good rebounding team. Number one in the Patriot League. They are a plus 3.8 boards per game. And sometimes the best offense for Colgate is the miss shot. Because Colgate rebounds 30% of their own misses. Sometimes your best offense is the miss shot. So while I'm here in Chicago right now, getting ready for tomorrow night's Big Ten game between Penn State and Minnesota, there are two games at the United Center tonight in the uh, Big Ten tournament. The concentration here in our area is obviously on The uh, Patriot League Championship game at 7.30 tonight. 7 o'clock the airtime with Doug Birdsong from Cotterill Court in Hamilton. 7 o'clock the airtime on Eagle 107. That should be a great one tonight. Jimmy Sotos, Kimberly McKenzie, Avi Toomer, Bruce Moore, Nate Sistina expected to be the starters tonight for Bucknell. As Bucknell goes after its third straight Patriot League Championship and looking to win their seventh. Patriot League title overall. They're trying to advance to the NCAA tournament for the ninth time in program history. So that's the setup for tonight. And Doug is in Hamilton right now getting ready for this one as Bucknell takes on Colgate tonight. 7.30 again, the tip. And the airtime, 7 o'clock on Eagle 107. Tomorrow night, uh, Penn State basketball will take center stage. Nittany Lions and Minnesota. That will be a... 7 o'clock tip tomorrow night, and we're on beginning at 6.30. Coming up, this is the opening day of spring practice for the Nittany Lion football team. We're going to hear the press conference of head football coach James Franklin. Also may hear from Joe Lord, the new special teams coach as well. That's coming up in the next hour. Looking forward to that. Getting the thoughts of James Franklin on his football team, on Tommy Stevens, and much more. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. As we continue with James Franklin and his press conference. Next half hour, News Radio 1070 WKOK.